0: We are continuing this morning in our series on hospitality and uh, about being invited. Maybe somebody invited you here this morning. I hope that's true. Um, I, we're going to talk about a passage that I probably preach out of a lot. <laughs> and that's because it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it paints a beautiful, beautiful picture of a spiritual community. I mean, the way Jesus intended and described His church... In the very early days, and we always like to go, if it's only like it was in Acts, it ain't never going to be like it was in Acts, okay? But there are some things there that are pictured in that passage where you just go, man, that's church. And it's this idea, last week we talked about being a hospitable disciple, about orienting our life towards one another and being hospitable. Well, this week we're going to talk about what it means as a community, As a spiritual community, to be hospitable. So I'm putting a little bit different spin on a past. I've talked about a lot before. But I want to ask you a couple of questions to kind of prompt your thinking. What does a hospitable spiritual community look like? And when I say the word spiritual community, I mean church. People. If COVID taught us anything, church is not a building. It's a group of people wherever they're gathered. Right. And so a spiritual community is a church, a people who are gathered for a spiritual purpose. They're on a spiritual journey together. They're going through life together. You hear pastors say this a lot of time. We're going to go do life together, whatever that phrase means. It's this idea that we're all going through all kinds of stuff. but We're not going through it in isolation. We shouldn't be. What does a spiritual community look like? What would you be drawn to if you were looking for a church? When not just like, and I don't mean, because we talked about this last week, I don't mean cool music as awesome as Will is. Thank you, Will. When you're looking for a church, when you're looking for a spiritual community, what is it you go, I don't know, I've been to several churches, but there's something different about that group of people. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's the good donuts. I don't know. No. Hopefully it's something more meaningful than that. Maybe it, it, when you go to church and you meet those people and they greet you and they give you the shirt off their back and you're like, wow, all I know is Jesus is doing something there. What does that look like for you? What, was the, what is the need that gets met? What is the thing that would be compelling to you about being part of a particular spiritual community? In fact, what would be so compelling that if you received it from that group, you wouldn't be able to help but share it with everybody else and participate in it. So we call this series Invited because we've got our orientation about church wrong. We talked about this last week. You don't go to church because of the coffee and the donuts and the cool music. (laughs) Those are added bonus, you know. Church is a gathering of the spiritual community. It's what it is. It's the place we come to be equipped in our faith. It's the place we come to be able to demonstrate love towards one another and be in community together. And so when we worship, there are different forms of worship. But what would it be, what would it look like if you experienced spiritual community in such a way that when you go to work on Monday, you're telling all your coworkers, you've got to be a part of this because something powerful is going on and it's special. Because I think that's what God intended for church. Church. We don't have to do massive, cool marketing campaigns. If we're being a genuine spiritual community, it'll be compelling in and of itself. If we're loving and generous and kind and towards one another, (laughs) and patient with one another and gracious towards one another and hospitable toward one another, that in itself will be compelling. And if you're receiving on the receiving end of it, you're like, man, all I know is I'm transformed by being there. You got to come check it out, too. That's the best possible marketing campaign I could ever dream up (laughs) because it's not a marketing campaign. It's an experience of God. And it's an experience of the love of God through his people. So when I say this passage in Acts paints a picture, this is what I'm talking about. We're in Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 to 47. Now Luke, when he writes, Luke writes this, like the same guy that wrote Gospel Luke, wrote Acts. He says, in my other letter, he's writing to the same guy. So he's talking about it. One of his writing patterns is he'll tell a bunch of stuff that happens and then he'll do like a summary passage. Okay. So he'll give you story, story, story. This crazy thing happened. And then he gives you like two or three verses that kind of like, you're watch, when you watch a TV show, and last week on, you know, and it gives you the synopsis of what happened that you missed, you know. Luke's is in reverse order. This happened, this happened, this happened. This is what you just saw. (laughs) It's like a summary of everything I've been telling you. In other words, the story continues to go on the way I just described. In verse 42, he says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any who had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So he gives you speech, he gives you sermon from Peter, he gives you all the stuff that's happening in the early church, and then for five verses, he goes, here's what the original spiritual community looked like. They had devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to this type of lifestyle. And day by day, God was adding to their number. And we get excited when more people come to church on a Sunday. It's like, hey, there's some visitors here, yay! You know, day by day, were, their church was growing. Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week, making these practices happening, their church was growing, and we'll get into some of the whys. So they, in verse 41, right before that, Peter gives this sermon, and at the end of that verse, he says, and 3,000 were added to their number. Way to go, Peter. (laughs) Now, I bring that up because I'm not sure if the they, in verse 42, is talking about the whole church or the people he just converted, Because it says, and 3,000 were added to their number. They devoted themselves to the 3,000, the church, all of them together. (laughs) And the reason I bring that up is because the next few things were spiritual devotion. They They devoted themselves spiritually. Now, most likely, he's given the summary and he's talking about the whole church collectively. But it kind of invites itself to the idea that once they got converted, once they were added to their number... Then they were devoted to these practices. Are you with me? So it's almost like, hey, you want to know how your church is supposed to grow somebody spiritually? Read verse 42 to 47 of Acts 2. They got converted. Then they devoted themselves spiritually to the teachings of the apostles. That's the first thing that's listed. We always forget because we're so far removed that they didn't have a Bible in church. They didn't have the King James Version. That comes thousands of years later. They didn't have the NIV. They didn't have the Bible app on your phone, of course. They had the Old Testament and the writings of the Old Testament to go from, which Paul was an expert in, which Peter and the apostles certainly would have been familiar with from their upbringing. But verse 42 says they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Why? They were writing the New Testament at that point. They didn't know they were. (laughs) But what did they have to be devoted to? The apostles explaining how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament that they were familiar with. That was the only Bible they had. So when you go to, it wasn't like Monday through Saturday, you'd be like, i will have my quiet time and open to Acts 3. It wasn't written yet. They had temple that they still gathered in, which the verse talks about. And then they go here, the apostles tell the stories of what Jesus did. He fed 5,000 people. He raised Lazarus from the dead. They were getting their gospel every Sunday from the mouths of the people who saw it. There was no Bible laying in front of them. So in verse 42, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, their sermons were right off the source material, man, straight from the, the witnesses' mouth. Of course they were devoted to it. But that was their Bible. The apostles' teaching. So you could lump into that Devoted to Scripture, right? Devoted to the Bible. Devoted to learning about Jesus and who He is and what He did and what the purpose of God's plan is and all of those things. That's what they devoted themselves to in verse 42. The apostles' teaching. Translation, Scripture, Bible. The redemptive story of God and His people. And it's the first thing on the list. Then it says, fellowship. We love us some fellowship in church. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, this falls right in a list of four things in verse 42 that are really spiritual practices. There are spiritual activities, if you will, things you can devote yourself to, spiritual disciplines. Fellowship is worship. Fellowship is a spiritual discipline. Fellowship is not just fried chicken. Okay? (laughs) It is a spiritual, sacred practice. That's why the writers of the New Testament go, do not give up gathering together as some are prone to do. Because it's an essential part of your spiritual devotion to be with your spiritual community. Now, layered into that is walking with each other in our spiritual walk and being in community with one another and going, hey, Here's where I think you're struggling. Here's how I can help you. Here's how, there's that nasty word we don't like to use called accountability. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, you said you were going to like give up Facebook for Lent, but you were posting like crazy. You know what I mean? Like some accountability, some walking alongside, some support, some gathering together on in, for intentional reasons. You know, it's always fun to throw a party and people come over. That's fellowship. But this has this, because of where it lands in the passage, it implies it has a spiritual connotation to it. Now, what's really important about this is when we talk about them being devoted to this, is there's an individual component to our spiritual walk, and there's a corporate one, right? You can devote yourself to your Bible in your quiet time at home, and you should. But it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they're gathering to hear the sermon. They're gathering to to catch what God had to say. They're gathering for fellowship. With one another. That verse keeps showing up in our little series that we're working on, right? This idea of being together with one another. Because then the very next one says, breaking of bread. Fellowship and breaking of bread sounds like church lunch. You know what I mean? Bring the the fried chicken and the dessert, the pecan pie, whatever. But because what we're talking about in this particular context of this passage, this breaking of bread, in fact, my translation says breaking of the bread. Guess what they're talking about? Where else do we break bread in church life? Communion table. They're already practicing the sacraments. So this is not breaking bread is spiritual, although it can be, let's be honest, you know. Good lunch is spiritual experience, I'm telling you. This is talking about the sacraments. So they've devoted themselves to the Bible, to the teaching of the, the, the Scriptures, and to the teaching of the apostles. They've devoted themselves to one another in intentional community together, intentional fellowship with one another. And they've practiced this, they're practicing the sacraments together. And we're in Acts 2. If you're keeping score in the calendar, this is like less than a year or two after Jesus has left the earth. And this is what they're practicing together. This is what they're devoting themselves to. This is what they're telling those 3,000 people in verse 41. Hey, here's the essentials. Come to church. Hear the apostles. Meet in a smaller community where we can, do, we can meet with you and talk with you about how to grow in your faith and help you understand what the apostles were just teaching. And we're going to break bread together. The way Jesus instructed us to do. And we're just in verse 42. Verse 40, as it goes on down, it says this. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Of course you got prayer at church, right? Prayer obviously is another discipline that's individual and corporate. Who likes to pray aloud in church? Anybody? It's like a public speaking thing. Everybody freaks out. You called on me to pray. You go to lunch with a bunch of pastors. They do this thing at the table. Last one up has to pray. You ever seen that? It's a youth pastor thing that has carried over, I think. But like nobody likes to pray in public, but there is a corporate element to prayer. Not just individual. Because the Christian faith was never meant to be lived all by yourself. You can't be hospitable. You can't invite to yourself. (laughs) The faith at its get-go is geared toward a corporate experience of people and God through those people. In fact, some of the writers, some of the experts think that when he talks about prayer in verse 42, there was a Jewish custom of praying three times a day. Jewish tradition of praying three times a day. And so some of the ancient scholars literally think this is how they employed the Lord's Prayer, that they prayed it three times a day. Morning, noon, night. When you pray, pray the way I've taught you saying There's a script to the Lord's Prayer on purpose. It's not the only way to pray, but it's what we call in modern church world a liturgy. Here's how you pray formally. And so the implication was that three times a day they would pray the Lord's Prayer. How cool a spiritual discipline would that be? Try that one for a while. That whatever else your prayer life is, when you wake up in the morning, when you take your lunch break, before you go to bed at night, pray the Lord's Prayer. Just pray it. Some of the things in that will shape who you are. Some of the attitudes and the statements of the Lord's Prayer will shape your heart towards what God intended your heart to be shaped towards. And doing it three times a day will create a discipline of your heart that will shape it in the direction that God would want it to go. So they're devoted spiritually. They're devoted to these things. They're devoted to the the, the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to fellowship, community with one another. They're they're devoted spiritually to prayer and to the sacraments. And that's verse 42. But then there's another layer to this devotion when you get to verse 43 and he starts to explain this big picture of how the church operated. I'm going to go back and read it because I want to highlight a couple of things. Verse 43. All came upon everyone because of the many wonders and signs that were being done by the apostles. So not are they pre- only are they preaching really straight source material stuff, but they're still doing miracles. People are getting healed. People are being transformed. God's power is being displayed. And if you read through the whole book of Acts, what you see is anytime the church goes to a new community, God will display His power to testify that what they're saying is true. Miraculously display His power. It'll talk about the spirit descending. It'll talk about speaking in tongues. It'll talk about these displays of miracles. Anywhere the church is kind of breaking new ground and happening and play. Why? Because people who had never heard about any of this stuff are like, eh, whatever, dude, until he does something. And guess what? Wait, he just brought so-and-so back from the dead. Wait, they were blind. Now they can see? Tell me more. Wouldn't it be cool if Sunday morning looked like that, okay? Let's just be honest. That would be really cool. Could God do that? Sure. Could God miraculously heal somebody on Sunday morning? Sure. I would never say he wouldn't. But what I think it means for us at least, to some degree, is that where the, when the church was gathered, they were in awe of the transformation of God. That when we're an invited community, when we're a spiritual community, when we're a community devoted to these things, God will do amazing, miraculous transformation in all of us. Not necessarily just like, oh my God, they're blind now, they can see. Transformation of any of us is a miracle unto itself. I'm more gracious, I'm more loving, I'm more patient, I am more like Jesus than I was last Sunday. Is transformation. It's what I said when, at the outset of this. If you came to church and you had spiritual needs, desperate needs, and the community invited you and welcomed you in and was hospitable and helped you achieve and meet those needs, that's the sign of God at work. That's what's compelling. If it's miraculous, it's gonna be a little more compelling. Whoa. But it's a miracle for somebody who can't escape addiction who escapes addiction. It's a miracle for somebody who is homeless and can't function to move into a life that's affluent and working and functional. That's transformation. That's a sign that God is at work among that group of people. I'd be devoted to that too. And they were in awe of God's transforming power. And in verse 44 and 45, <laughs> all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds of all to any who had need, so this authentic, hospitable spiritual community would do whatever it had to do to make absolutely sure nobody in that spiritual community had need, couldn't pay their power bill, couldn't pay their rent, didn't have adequate food, all that power bill stuff that's not Bible that's now, now. you can understand that right? There was no electricity. <laughs> <laughs> it said when they came together, there was a part of their fellowship, a part of their being together in spiritual community. When they're looking around the room, it's like, who's struggling? Who has need? Who hasn't eaten in a couple of days? We've talked about this before, but when you pray our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, that's a way of expressing your basic needs being met. Because wealthy. In Jesus' day meant having enough food for the next few days beyond the day of. You were wealthy if you had enough food for the week. By Bible's definition, we're Bill Gates. Because we got a refrigerator and a freezer. They had they didn't know where tomorrow's meal was coming from. So our daily bread means, Lord, provide for me today. In this passage, he says when they came together, they would look around and go, Who has need? Who didn't have clothes? Who hadn't eaten? That was the original evangelism strategy. You're walking through the town. Somebody's sitting on the side of the street begging. Come with me. We're going to church. They got fried chicken. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We got to have a meal at Matthew's house. Come check it out. These apostles who walk with Jesus are going to tell a story. We're going to pray together. We're going to help each other. And we're going to make sure you get fed. That was how the church grew. The sharing was not compulsory. It was not tax. It was a voluntary giving of self. It was a devotion to generosity and hospitality. It was a sincere heart that the community that they were walking through life with as Christians, they made sure nobody got left behind. Whatever they had to do, they had to do it. If they had to sell something to make that happen, they would. If they had to give something else, they they would do that to make sure that all needs were met. That society was very different from ours. We got a refrigerator. We got a car. We're good. We got three TVs. We're Bill Gates compared to Bible times. They were worried about the basics, they were about the next meal. But they made sure that that spiritual community, that one another's needs, they're talking about each other in church. They're not even talking about reaching people in the community necessarily. They're talking about when they're gathered for church, they'll be like, Are you hungry? we got donuts in the lobby. (laughs) They would make sure your needs were met. But here's the thing. This is a really important piece of this. In order to do that, there's a necessary component that we miss. In order for your needs to be met in a spiritual community, what do you have to do? You have to communicate those needs. You see, we're taught, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be a strong individual. (laughs) Don't be vulnerable. Don't be weak. Be strong. You don't have any needs. What do you say in the hallway at church? How you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. I'm good. I'm good. If for a spiritual community to meet the needs of other people, of one another, we have to be willing to express our need. We have to be willing to say, I I need this. It can be anything. I need a good counselor to go talk to You know what I mean? It could be anything. It could be, uh, I need a new summer wardrobe. No, I'm just kidding. If there's some desperate need in your life and you come to church every Sunday and go home and you don't trust this community to share that need, don't be surprised when it's not met. Communicating the need is a piece of this puzzle. Remember, they're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to each other. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to accountability. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to Jesus saying... The Father in heaven knows how to provide for His children. If you're not being provided for, it's because you didn't tell Dad you needed something. It's because you didn't tell your fellow Christian you need something. Communication is a piece of the sharing. It's sharing your life with your spiritual community. Otherwise, we can't read minds. We're good. We're not that good. All right. But that takes some vulnerability but that also means you got to have trust you got to have genuine hospitable authentic spiritual community or you're not going to get you're not going to show your cards i don't blame you lots of people have been hurt by church in lots of different ways i get that because church involves people (laughs) i know lots of pastors that have said this in the past church would be great if it wasn't for all the people you know what i mean like anytime church is gathered there's people people means there's gonna be mess If you're looking, I've said this a couple weeks ago, I made the joke. If you're looking for the perfect church, don't join it if you find it because it won't be perfect anymore. You know? Like, if you expect the response to be perfect, if you expect the church to be perfect, if you expect everybody sitting across from you to be perfect, you go to church, you go, I know them. They're not a good Christian. And you expect them to be perfect. Then then when they're not, you don't trust them. Then how are you ever going to have your spiritual needs met? I got news for you. The hospital's for the sick. We're here because we need God, but we're also here because we need one another to use the phrase from Acts. We can't do this alone. Spirituality was never meant to be done alone. Verse 46, they regularly worshipped and gathered together in the temple. They regularly gathered together in people's homes with sincere hearts, sharing food with one another. Okay, so we've talked about breaking bread, now we're talking about sharing food. Church people eat when they get together. Shocker. <laughs> right? What does this mean? It means that people were devoted to spiritual community meant being hospitable and opening their homes and fellowshiping one another. In our church circles, that usually looks like a life group or Sunday school or a smaller spiritual community that you're walking through life with together in somebody's home. But it also meant that the way they used their house... A lot of times, they didn't have sanctuaries yet. Guess where they had church? In people's homes. So to some degree, this is a picture of temple on Saturday Saturday in between because they're gathering for worship every day in this passage, day by day. That when they weren't in temple, they're having church at Melanie's house. They're having church at Charlie's house. They're having church the next day at so-and-so's house. Like They were gathering for worship every day and breaking bread in their homes. They went to church every day. We go once a week and it's like, eh, I'm not sure if I'm going today. They went to church every day. They couldn't help but be together and being hospitable, inviting everybody they came in contact with because God was doing something and because they were devoted to it and they wanted to be ensured, they wanted to demonstrate God's love and ensuring that everybody had their needs met. Do you see how this one little, this five verse little passage is a picture of the way Jesus intended the body of Christ to operate? Can you see it? Do you see how it reflects who Jesus was and how he operated while he was here? A group of people praying and learning from God, sharing and learning with each other, being vulnerable to each other, making sure each other's needs are met, worshiping together, reaching out into a community to be ensured that they would have that option too. That's why we're still standing here 2,000 years later when 12 Dudes was doing this 2,000 years ago. Because there is something compelling about what God originally intended to do. We're on mission with Him. This is just what the mission is supposed to look like. I didn't read 46, but I want to read something in verse 46. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So in verse 46, they're gathering day by day, spending time in the temple, spending time in their homes, breaking food and getting to know each one another and being in fellowship with glad and generous hearts. In other words, the people were trustworthy enough to give your problems to. And they were generous enough to help you meet them. It's simple, straightforward, powerful community. And it says it won the admiration of others. Of course it did drop that community into the Roman Empire with the haves and the have-nots. And they're worried about where their next meal's coming from. And here comes this group of people walking the streets going, you need food? We got you. You need clothes? We got you. That's powerful. They're worried about others, not where their own next meal's coming from. So, of course, if they're doing these things, if they're devoted to these things, it is not a big shocker That they had the good favor of everybody. You need something? Go see that church. That group of people that meets at Matthew's house. They'll take care of you. And then when you get there, then you find out about why. Because of their devotion to God, to prayer, and to loving Jesus. That's why they have glad and generous hearts. Because they have hope. They have every need they could ever want met. It's authentic community. Loving, equipping of each other and support for one another. That's why in Hebrews 10, 24, it says spur one another on to good works. It's not go live Christianity, have a good time being Christian, see you next Sunday. It is we are in this together and when it's hard, we're here for you too. And we celebrate when it's great. That's countercultural, by the way. I mentioned this earlier about the bootstrap thing. The world tells you to make your way, to accomplish your goal. To be a strong, rugged individual. That's the way the world shapes us to operate. The way Christ has shaped us to operate or wants us to operate is in community with one another. That's counterformation to the way the world is trying to make you. The world's trying to make you Bill Gates. Wouldn't that be nice? The world's trying to make you Bill Gates. Make your own way, make your own kingdom. Jesus comes along and says, No, no, no. The people of God is a spiritual community that loves God and demonstrates that love to other people with glad and generous and sincere hearts because of their why, because of the hope that God's given them. They demonstrate the love of God because they've received that love from God themselves. When I say it forms us that way, I'm guilty of this too. So this is Charlie preaching to Charlie. Think about the way our homes are structured versus four decades ago. What do you do when you get home from work? (whistles) Shut the garage door, go into your house. If you go back outside, where is it? Back porch, right? Right. Four decades ago, where was the porch? On the front of the house. What'd you do after work? You sat on the front porch and you waved at your neighbor as you went by. Where's our culture got us going now? Go into your castle, lock all the doors, barricade yourself in, see see the people at work the next day, shut yourself off from the world. Even the way we live shapes, informs us to be individualistic and off by ourselves and separate from everybody else and sometimes even our church world tells us here church good rest of the world bad stay away from the rest of the world go to a Christian school only go to church only only have friends with Christians our churches have taught us this what I just read doesn't sound like What I just read is a group of people that are so devoted spiritually and so devoted to spiritual community that it's contagious to a world who hasn't experienced it yet. And we ought to be looking for opportunities to share that love with people who don't know it and don't have the hope and don't have the peace and don't have the love of Christ in their heart and are still in desperate need and don't even realize it yet because they're chasing what the world tells them will fill it. And it won't. And they're still trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're still trying to get there on their own. And Jesus is offering something totally different. Membership and participation in the body of Christ. That's a reason for hope. That's a reason for joy. That's a reason for trusting and knowing that you're going to be okay. Is everything I've just described true at connection? Not yet. (laughs) <laughs> pastor's being honest some of this is aspirational are we a strong spiritual community that's supporting each other and walking through life with each other and making sure all our needs met I know what happens do we have some ways to places to go on that some room for growth on that of course we all have responsibility to participate in that how are we doing on communicating our needs if we have them How are we doing of meeting those needs when they are communicated? We do okay sometimes. I'm not bashing you. But we can always grow. Is that picture that I just painted compelling enough to be a part of it? That if it was happening here on the regular, I'm not recommending we meet for church every day. We'll talk about that. But if that picture that I just described of a body of believers was happening here, what would happen? to you and to everybody else. What would that look like? Where would you have peace? Where would you have more peace than you do now? Where would you have more love than you do now? Where would you experience God more than you do now? And like in verse 42, be in awe of God at work. Would you ever miss it? That's not a guilt trip about coming to church. But your heart would be like, I gotta go back. I gotta go back. I gotta learn more. I gotta be equipped to do that. I gotta figure out how to do that. I need to know what the needs are so I can meet them. Not, "Eh, church is coming Sunday. We were joking a little bit, because up the hill, traditional church, they're having trouble with the air conditioner. Surprised we don't have like 200 people down here. You know what I mean? Like they're having some trouble with the AC up the hill. Remember when they had church before there was a such thing? We're like, I'm not going to church. The AC's broken. I might be 90 degrees in there. I'm going home. Guys, I got to tell you something. Jesus never promised that following him would be comfortable. If the AC didn't work in here, would, we'd be uncomfortable. If the coffee was cold, we'd be uncomfortable. <laughs> For a long time before we were here on Sunday morning, the church gathered with a whole lot less than what we got going on right here. Anyway, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have Keurig on the queue, man. They had to walk. They had to walk uphill in the snow both ways. No, they had to walk a long way to get. And people still do in other parts of the world walk for 20 minutes in this heat to go to a small tent to go to church with no air conditioning for four hours. And we're like, yeah, it's thunderstorming outside. I'm going to roll over. Dude. If the spiritual community is compelling, you will figure out how to be a part of it, whether you know Jesus or not. If you know him, how could you miss it ever? Again, not a guilt trip, just a statement of the fact that that's how compelling the love of God is. Now, I have this crazy pastor vision in my head, okay? So bear with me. Somewhat vision. (laughs) You know my story. I got detached writing this stuff. All Okay. We need to figure out how we're going to communicate our needs if we're going to have them met by this group. I'm still trying to figure that out, but here's where we're going to start. You have a connection card on your, ta- on your chair. Some of you have already dutifully filled it out and given your contact info. Fantastic. Jesus loves you. No, I'm just kidding. If you already filled it out, that's fantastic. At the bottom, there's a place where I tell you every Sunday, you can put prayer requests and I will pray for you. I am broadening that box this morning. That if you have a need, that you need to be communicating to this body, there's a big white space at the bottom of that card where you can place it. Because we're not going to be able to respond as a body if we don't know about it. And that might take some vulnerability. That might take a leap. I get that. But there's a place for you to share that need so that God can meet it through His body of Christ. You never know the miraculous sign and wonder that's going to be displayed when you open yourself up to the transformation of Jesus. I collect the cards. I'm not going to like, look on Facebook. This is what they need. But I tell you what, I'm piecing the other in my head without breaking confidentiality. This is needed. See, contact me and we're going to fix it. This is needed. Contact me and we're going to fix it. Me, Charlie. We need to figure out how to respond to one another. Next week... We're going to talk about being hospitable to a world that still needs to experience the love of Jesus. But starting today, that card has the option. I have a need. Here it is, Charlie. Because I see those prayer requests. I pray for you on Monday morning when you put the prayer request on there. It's not all about just getting your email, although that's helpful. (laughs) It's a place where you can start the communication flow. And I can start going, well, they need this, but this person has tax issues, but this person's a CPA. Let's put them together. Just to throw out an example. Does that make sense? Start today, new discipline, new place. You can do that. You can express that need there, and then we will start making Acts to happen. Okay, At least another step down that road. Let's pray, and we're going to go to the Lord's table together. God, thank you for this morning. Our prayer this morning is that you would make connection and Acts to spiritual community that we would be in awe of what you've done, that we'd be devoted to these spiritual practices, not just individually, but together. And that when we come together, we would worship you with love and and demonstrate love toward each other to where no one is needing anything because you are our great provider. We rest in that promise this morning. In Christ's name, amen. stairs. We're going to go to the Lord's table this morning and it's ironic. It's not ironic. Jesus began the first spiritual community by breaking bread with his disciples and sharing the cup with his disciples. Where it all started. And here we are 2,000 some odd years later doing the same thing in the way that he called us to do it congregation, lift up your hearts and give thanks to God. Pray with me. Blessed are you, O God, with your, with your word and your Holy Spirit, you created all things and called them good. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead this same Jesus who now reigns with you in glory and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. For that we give you thanks.